This Motley Fool podcast is sponsored by Wonder Capital, the easiest way to invest in large-scale solar energy projects across the U.S. With Wonder, you can help finance renewable energy projects while earning up to 7.5% annually. To get started, visit wondercapital.com fool. Wonder Capital, where impact investing meets capitalism. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Wednesday, February 14th, and this is The Healthcare Show. My name is Christine Hargis, and Motley Fool healthcare writer Todd Campbell is joining me on the phone. Todd, first off, happy Valentine's Day, and also happy Olympics. Yeah, happy Valentine's Day to you, too. And and yes, I understand there's this small little competition going uh, going on in Korea that I've heard a little bit about. Yeah, I mean, it's not really a, a big deal. It's just... A handful of the top athletes in the world competing in all sorts of winter events. Doing like crazy, phenomenal things that I know I could never do even at my peak. (laughs) Yeah, I have to say, so I'm not a big TV watcher, but every time I've been out at a bar or a restaurant since the Olympics have been going on, if it is on the screen, I can't help but watch it. I mean, these people are so impressive. Uh, you know, one of the things I want to see, Christine, I don't know if you got a chance to see it yet. Um, I'm going to have to Google for it later. But I heard Sean White just did an unbelievable job in the uh, winning the gold in the half pipe. I see um, Austin nodding out there. <laughs> the entire U.S. snowboard team has taken gold so far. So there's that. That's pretty sick. That's amazing. I guess he was doing some 1440s. It's just just amazing stuff. Have you ever snowboarded, Christine? (laughs) So um, I have once, and I will never do it again because I, on my very first time snowboarding, broke both of my wrists. What? Yeah. (laughs) It's all right. Skiing is for people who can't snowboard. Hey, no, no, no. So the switching costs are high. I am a skier. I tried to to snowboard once, and I really didn't do well with the whole my feet are stuck together concept. Yeah. Yeah, I I feel you. I feel you. My 15-year-old, he tried to – he got me to take some lessons, and and I spent an entire day trying to figure it out. And then on the very last run of the day, I thought I had it. And I face planted, must have slid like 15, 20 yards down on the icy snow. Oh, no. And I was like, I'm done. Oh. Well, I, I didn't break anything like you. Wow. Well, <laughs> we're going to have to leave all the snowboarding to Sean White and Austin Morgan. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you know what's interesting about that Sean White um, victory is that was the 100th gold medal that the U.S. has won. Uh, over the history of of the Winter Olympics. That's that's pretty remarkable track record. That's pretty sweet. I didn't know that. Um, so <laughs> we want to do a, an Olympics-themed show today and talk about if we could give out gold medals for healthcare companies, what would we give them out for and which companies would win? Todd, do you want to kick us off? Sure. I mean, I, there's so many events at the Olympics, right? If we tried to create categories for as many events there are at the Olympics, you know, our listeners would probably, you know, never finish the show. Yeah, we would be here all day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I picked out three. I think you you might have picked out a similar number. And and mine just quickly were, you know, gold medal for dividend stocks, gold medal for marijuana stocks, and gold medal for big blue chip biotechs. 
Yes. Um, and I, I also have three. So I'll be doing a financial fortitude contest and also a health tech. And then also because the Olympics are international in scope, I'll be picking my favorite international as in non-US healthcare stock. So we'll kind of go back and forth. Uh, we'll pause for a break in the middle. Do you want to kick us off with dividend stock? Sure. This was a little bit of a tough competition. You know, it was ferociously fought. You know, um, in the end, I ended up awarding it the gold medal to Pfizer. It's a real um, nail biter. I, say that again. It was a real nail biter. Yeah, it was a nail biter. It was. It was. It was. It was right down to the wire. Whose foot got over the uh, the finish line first? Um, I almost went with J and J because J and J's got just such a remarkable track record of of increasing its dividend. I think it's like fifty four years in a row. But I ended up going with Pfizer for a couple different reasons. You know, it, you know, Pfizer doesn't have that same long track record. But if you look at since 2011, when it had to cut its dividend because it had lost patent protection on Lipitor and was trying to conserve cash. But if you look since they did that, they've actually increased their dividend by more than J&J. Um, in, I think it's about 30% versus J&J's 27%. And, you know, with their most recent increase of 6.25%, they're now yielding about three, I want to say it's like 3.7% right now, which of course trounces the market. And, you know, a lot of times you look at high yield, high dividend yield stocks and you get a little bit nervous. You worry that, you know, they're, you know, trading at a high dividend yield because they're making up for some other problem. But I don't think that's the case anymore with Pfizer. I think that the Lipitor headwind was significant. It really dragged down the company's performance since 2011, but we're now at a point in 2018 where all of the the hard work that's been done by Pfizer to cut costs and to revamp its pipeline, all of that's about to start paying off. You know, they came out with their uh, goals for 2018, and they think that they're going to go from you know they they were pretty much break even last year. They think they're going to uh, as far as revenue growth. They think this year the top line is going to grow 4%, and they think their bottom line is going to grow 11%. Now, in a company as big as Pfizer, generating that much additional cash every quarter, that should be very, very dividend-friendly over time. So they get they get my gold medal for the, the efforts that they've done over the recent years to, to put them in a position for growth going forward. All right, I hear you, but I would feel bad not giving Johnson & Johnson a gold medal for something, because they are a highly competitive company. So, in my next category, I will uh, make the competition financial fortitude and, of course, give the gold medal to Johnson & Johnson. I'll start with the obvious. They have a AAA credit rating. They're one of just two companies, the other being Microsoft, that has that rating, which is higher than that of the U.S. government. This is just about the lowest risk stock that I can think of. They have more than 260 different businesses. They have three different operating segments. If you're a regular listen listener to the show, I'm sure you can name them with me. It's consumer products, medical devices, pharmaceuticals. At the end of 2017, Johnson & Johnson reported $16 billion in cash and short-term investments on their balance sheet. And this was before the change to the U.S. tax code that led to repatriation of $66 billion in foreign earnings, roughly $12 billion of which is immediately accessible. 
And this wouldn't be a J&J pitch if I didn't talk about the dividend. Todd, you already started to talk about it a little bit, and I will elaborate. The company is part of a rare group of elite dividend payers known as the dividend aristocrats. Their yield is currently 2.6%. They have a cash dividend payout ratio of 50%, which is very healthy, and they're in no danger of not being able to raise it annually like they've been doing since 1963. So, to sum up, when it comes to financial fortitude, Johnson & Johnson gets the gold medal. Yeah, and you know what, Christine? They, they generate almost $19 billion in operating cash, so <laughs> I see why you like that one so much. Absolutely. Yeah. So okay. So moving on to the next one, you know, I, I the next gold medal I was going to give out is for uh, best marijuana stock, and you know, this is kind of maybe it's controversial, but I don't I don't think so. I, th I think that anybody who's been paying attention to what's been going on for the last few years knows that there have been significant shifts in America's view towards marijuana, and there's been a lot of uh, different um, activities both here in the U.S. and abroad to expand the access. Uh, particularly to medical marijuana. I think that we have about 30 states here in the U.S. Um, that now have some form of marijuana law on the books, eight of which have passed recreational marijuana laws. And then if you look north of the border in Canada, they've got a national medical marijuana program in place, and they're looking at national program in recreational uh, marijuana opening up in July. So you know, as you can imagine, with tens of billions of dollars per year on black market sales potentially moving into the public sphere, uh, there's been a lot of interest in marijuana stocks and companies that are likely to benefit from it. And while you might say, you know, okay, well, what U.S. stocks are best positioned to benefit, you and I have talked on the show in the past, Christine, about the U.S. market and some of the hiccups and headaches that people are still facing and enduring um, in this marketplace, it's, marijuana is still legal on a federal level. You can't take the same kind of business deductions that other companies do if you run a marijuana business. There's other concerns with cross-border transactions and uh, in banking. So the gold medal for me doesn't go to a U.S. Um, company. Instead, it goes north of the border to Canada, where I selected Canopy Growth as the gold medal winner for marijuana stocks. I just think that they have a significant opportunity to, to generate some very substantial growth uh, over the course of the next year or two just from the opening of those recreational markets. And I know, Christine, you had a great interview with Canopy Growth's um, CEO recently um, on one of the podcasts, and I recommend that all our listeners um, go check it out. Yeah, I really enjoyed that interview so much because I think the company is super interesting. There are a handful of fairly large Canadian marijuana stocks, but I agree with you, Todd, that I think Canada is the place to look, number one. And number two, I do think that Canopy Growth is the cream of the crop. Um, I really yeah, like I mean, they have 30% market share right now in, in medical. And it's hard to imagine with all the investments they've made in production um, that they're not going to be able to maintain a very significant share once the Canadian market opens up. And I think that on that interview that you did with him, he had mentioned that there's about 250,000 um, registered patients receiving medical marijuana in Canada today. And he speculates that we could go a year out, a year and a half out, and have the number of, of people uh, who are purchasing marijuana climb to 400 to 450,000. If so, you're talking about 
um, what some industry analysts think will be a $5 billion market, and that's just in Canada. And meanwhile, if you look at the rest of the world, there's even more opportunity there. In Europe alone, it's estimated that there's a $67 billion market for cannabis. So it's just insane how quickly this industry has already grown and how much expectation there is of future growth. And of course, that expectation is priced into this stock. But as a company, yeah, I I absolutely agree that they are gold medal level. Yeah, for them to win the gold medal again in 2018, though, it'll probably the proof will be in the profitability. You know, I, I think that Linton has said that he'd like, you know, he he was purposefully delaying turning a profit until the second half of 2018, once those recreational markets open. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens, especially in the second half of the year with this company and this stock. Uh, but I, again, gold medal winner for me. We'll be right back with more gold medalists after this quick break. Industry Focus is supported by Wonder Capital, the easiest way to invest in large-scale solar energy projects across the U.S. Bloomberg New Energy Finance estimates that $2.8 trillion will be invested in solar energy by 2040. With Wonder Capital's solar investment platform, individuals can now take advantage of this economic opportunity. In fact, individuals like you have already financed more than 150 large-scale solar projects. These solar energy projects create enough electricity to power the equivalent of 5,000 homes, which helps offset almost 75 million pounds of carbon dioxide emissions each year. Visit wondercapital.com fool to find out how you can begin investing in solar energy projects while earning up to 7.5% annually and also helping in the fight against climate change. Again, that's wondercapital.com fool. Wonder Capital, where impact investing meets capitalism. And we're back to the Olympics of healthcare with our next competition, health tech. A very broad category, but my gold medal goes to a company called Viva Systems. They're the dominant SaaS company in the life sciences space, and their value proposition is consolidating legacy IT systems into a single cloud-based system with add-on applications like event management and marketing territory alignment. And it's specifically designed for healthcare companies and meeting industry-specific challenges like clinical trial management, regulatory requirements, data collection, and more. Their legacy CRM platform is being used by a seriously impressive list of some of the most important and biggest drug makers out there. And their next phase of growth will come from Viva Vault, which is a line of product and data management, as well as expansion to beyond just life sciences, which is something that's pretty exciting and was made at the request of companies in other areas who had heard such great things about Viva that they wanted to be able to use their offerings, even though they're not healthcare companies. From an investing standpoint, I love the predictability of a subscription business, and I also love that it's super sticky. Once you're in their product suite, it's really tough to get out of it and go to a competitor, even if you wanted to. And so that gives it a super wide moat. Yeah, you know, that's a really interesting stock. And I I think it's awesome that you picked it as the gold medalist because, you know, I went back and I started looking at this stock and I was like, wow, no wonder they've had so much revenue growth and so much earnings growth. You know, Christine, since 2010, We've gone from 100,000 trials registered on the clinicaltrials.gov website to 266,000 trials Dang. just since 2010. So there's no wonder that that new Viva Vault that's helping uh, companies manage their clinical trials is enjoying some pretty rapid uh, rapid growth, I think 50% annualized year over year just for that piece of the business. So even if you have some slowdown in, the, in that legacy you know, customer relationship management 
uh, software business, this Viva Vault is opening up all sorts of new opportunities for them. It's exciting stuff, exciting time for the company. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, do you want to take us to the uh, second to last category of the day? Absolutely. And, you know, this is a stock that I could have probably, you know, chosen as a winner in the dividend category as well, uh, but, you know, didn't. Um, but for the, for my third pick, I'm giving best blue chip biotech, the gold medal uh, to AbbVie. And you and I talked a little bit about this company on last week's show, so I won't I won't go too much in, in depth into it. But one of the reasons that I like this company is that they've really provided investors with um, a lot of of good clarity over the past year into where their business could be going over the course of the next five to 10 years. You know, I think that a lot of people have been worried up until now about Humira, which is the company's best-selling drug. It accounts for 65% of their revenue, so they should be worried about patent expiration on that drug. Um, but last fall, uh, you know, the company actually won a very important patent decision that then allowed it to negotiate a non-exclusive license for one of the competitors that would launch a biosimilar to Humera, and that is going to delay the entrance of that biosimilar until 2023. And as part of that, they are then able to do a little bit of long range planning and say, okay, we think now Humera's sales may grow from 18.4 billion today to 21 billion by 2020. And not only do we get the extra few years of all of that revenue, but it gives us extra time to launch other drugs that can more than make up for any fall off in revenue once those biosimilars do make it to market. You know, they've got Elagolix, which is endometriosis drug that's under FDA review. They've got data coming soon for Rova-T, which is a solid tumor drug that has billion dollar potential. And they've got two other drugs in autoimmune disease for rheumatoid arthritis and for psoriasis that could have 6.5 and 5 billion in peak sales opportunity uh, respectively. You know, given how much money the company is already generating and operating cash and the potential to move the needle in the future, I just think that this is a top shelf gold star winner or a gold medal winner um, when it comes to big cap biotech. Yeah, and as you mentioned, we just covered this company in even more depth last week, so I'll refrain from adding too many details that might just repeat last week's content. But go check that out, listeners, if you haven't listened to it yet. So, given that one of the central draws of the Olympics is its international flavor, I wanted to end on one final competition for best non-U.S. healthcare stock. And for this one, I am giving the gold to Roche, the Swiss drug maker. Roche is already very dominant, and it can boast that it has two of the five best-selling drugs from 2017. These were Rituxan, which brought in nearly $8 billion in 2017, and Herceptin, which generated over $7.5 billion. Rituxan treats both certain cancers and autoimmune diseases, which is pretty unique that it does both, and it makes up about 18% of overall sales for Roche. Herceptin, meanwhile, treats breast and gastric cancer, and it makes up about 17% of sales. And it's important to note that both of these drugs are facing biosimilar competition. But that doesn't worry me much. <laughs> uh, Roche also has a cancer drug called Avastin, which had 2017 sales of more than $7 billion, and it still has patent protection. And I'm also particularly excited to watch their anti-PD-L1 drug, Tocentric, which just hit the market in May 2016. 
their growth trajectory for this drug is pretty incredible. 2017 sales of about 500 million already tripled from 2016 levels, which is, of course, not a fair comparison because 2016 didn't get the whole year of sales. But going forward, estimates are for a CAGR compound annual growth rate of 77% through the year 2022, bringing it up to annual sales of nearly $5 billion. Roche also has one of the largest R&D budgets of any big pharma, and that should continue to be the case for the next several years. I was on their pipeline page of their website earlier scrolling through, and I literally got a finger cramp. That is how much they have going on. Yeah, you know, Christine, just to tag on to that, I saw that they had 25 label expansions or new drug uh, approvals in the EU and U.S. last year. 25! Yeah, and actually, by my count, they have 31 just for Tocentric. And some of them have expected filing dates this year, which is just incredible. And that's where you see the CAGR of 77% uh, being driven by. Um, overall, worldwide prescription sales are expected to reach nearly $50 billion by 2022, which is a 4% CAGR. And that's pretty good for a company of this size. Um, you made a similar point when you were talking about Pfizer. But once you have such a large base, it's hard to grow much. And so that actually, that 4% puts them pretty close to the top of its class. Um, it also has a dividend yield of 3.8%, which I think is just the icing on the cake to seal the deal that this is my gold medal final for international. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that's interesting, and just to tag on to that, 5% growth since 2012 consistently. I mean, if you look at the, it's like every year, 5% growth. You know, so this is, maybe this isn't, you know, it's not a, 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 a company that's going to grow by leaps and bounds, but man, the consistency is fantastic. Yeah, and, and I really am impressed by what they're doing with their pipeline. Um, go check it out if you want to be as, as wild as I was, but uh, go easy on the, the scrolling finger. All right, so that is all we have for you today. If you have awards of your own that you think you'd like to give out or that we, you think that we missed, please send us an email at industryfocus.fool.com. And as usual, if you want to send Industry Focus some Valentine's Day love, please head to iTunes and leave us a review. We love getting new reviews, hearing what's on your mind, and it also helps us get the show out to new listeners. As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Our gold medal producer is Austin Morgan. For Todd Campbell, I'm Christine Hargis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!